welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Why don't you stand up with me? We're going to read the word together as is our customer, custom, not our customer, our custom here. And we're continuing with wisdom as we have been this whole year. And now we've made it to chapter five and we're going to read the first six verses together and going to plunge into them. Uh, Everybody with me. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. That's it, six, right, good, perfect. Yep, it says six there. Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that um, all scripture is breathed, inspired by God, all of it, from front to back. A to Z, Alpha to Omega, God, for our edification, for our teaching, to raise us up in your way, God, so that we would live again in your flourishing and your promise through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give a neighbor a high five and grab a seat. Thank you, Andre. Can we give Andre a, a hand on the keys? He didn't even know he was playing this morning. He didn't know. And he did it anyways. Thank you, Andre, for being the man. All right. So, so happy belated Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about adultery. Yay! <laughs> I'm like, we have, this, we have this adultery message. Actually, this whole chapter, the whole chapter five is about adultery. I'm like, yay, what a perfect Valentine's message. This is a perfect David Englehart Valentine's message. Um, so we've been walking through the Proverbs from September all the way through now. We've made it to chapter 5. And that, that word Proverbs, the root of that word means to answer a riddle or to overcome. And the, the more responsibility I get, the more, let's call it blessing. Let's, well, the more blessing I have, the more responsibility I have, the more riddles I have to solve, Right? Mo money, mo problems. You know what I'm saying? And what does that mean? That means the more blessing that you get from God, the more he calls you to steward that blessing, right? And to be responsible with the gifts that he's given you or else those gifts won't be like... It's a funny kind of dynamic because on the one side, we're always asking God for more blessing and more gifts and more stuff. And then he's like, here, I'm giving you this. I'd like you to steward it. And you're like, but that's the hard part. And God's like, I know. Right, And the whole book of Proverbs is about ruling and reigning with God and teaching us the ways, the, 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 the puzzles to solve that are problems that we deal with or wrestle with or walk through life so that we can then rule those issues and be able to steward God's blessing, his goodness, his flourishing, family, all of those kind of things, love, sexuality, all of these things are a blessing and a gift to God. And the Proverbs is about us walking through life and ruling these gifts that he's given us and being able to solve the problems or the riddles that come alongside of getting these kind of blessings. Does that make sense? 
And that's one of the reasons we've been talking about Proverbs, Second Chronicles 7.11. It's Solomon says that all of the things in his heart for the house of the Lord and his own house came to pass. Every desire that he had for God's house and for his own personal house came to pass. And that was due in part to the blessing of God and to him walking in wisdom. That's why we've been going through wisdom. So here we are talking about adultery for the next six months. No, I hope we don't have to talk about it for six months. Um, this is my notes. Happy Valentine's, adultery, ha, 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 seriously, though. That's actually what, that's actually what my notes say. <laughs> Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Jesus answered, have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they become one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, I want to talk to you on the front end about, we're going to talk, hit some of the big, big issue points. But the primary issue is that when we come to Jesus... We partake in communion. We, in the same way, become one flesh with the Lord. Right? That's the whole point of participating in his broken body and shed blood, that we're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. All of the old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Now I am joined and unified with the Lord. So this is going to be a little bit on actual adultery, because I'm going to say, don't commit adultery, it's a really bad idea. But a lot of it's going to be on the picture of a believer walking in the commitment of relationship with God the Father and his son Jesus through the Holy Spirit and keeping Jesus in the primary spot in our life and not letting any other relationship, sin, or seduction stand in the way. Because do we know seduction's a real thing? Right? We know Satan doesn't show up at our door and say, this way to hell, like with a giant sign and an arrow pointing to a fiery pit with people screaming, stabbing each other in the butts with pitchforks. Like, that's not how it works. It wouldn't be a compelling ask. Like, I don't want to go there. But if there, is a, if there is a direction that he wants you to go and he leads that place with honey on the surrounding like with beauty, with immediate gratification, with something that's intoxicating, it's a lot easier to fall down that path. And if you remember what we just read, what we just read was the lips of the seductress are coated with honey. And that's the picture of sin being this immediate, seductive answer, immediate little brain high, immediate hit, stimulus release of endorphin that we're like, man, this is really good. I'm going to keep consuming because it feels good and right. And the, and, the, and the father is saying to the son in this picture in Proverbs, that is the way to absolute death. And I was reading in the scripture yesterday, and I, can't re- I couldn't remember where, where this was. And it was, again, paralleling this concept later in the Proverbs, either chapter 7 or chapter 9. And it says, and you will be ashamed before the entire congregation. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. It's like, not only will you be destroyed, but you'll actually be ashamed before the congregation of the people of God. And it's like, it's, it's using all of the strongest language to say to you, the way of this power source, the seductive power source, is unbelievably dangerous. So let me hit a couple of points before we, we pop down and deep dive into this um, into this scripture. So the first thing to note, and, and if you're a Westerner, which we all are, um, is this, this 
the Proverbs is talking about the woman as adulteress. Now, it's easy, and if you're easily offended, you can read this, and you're like, well, why doesn't it say the man is adulterous? My response is, calm down. The woman is also wisdom, right? Like, we need to actually read the scripture and understand a couple of things. The first thing is that we don't bring our social construct to the scripture and ask it to be reinterpreted according to what the norms are. Because you know we live in an incredibly broken society. Families are shattered, blah, da da I don't need to really go into it with you guys preaching to the choir. But I want to say that women and men are distinctly different beings, and they have distinctly different powers, and they have distinctly diff- different weaknesses, okay? It's, for some reason, bizarre to talk about in church, but, I mean, it's not the woman who is generally the betrayer in Scripture. It's generally the spirit of the man that is the betrayer. You see Judas betraying Jesus and then his gut spilling out onto the field, like bad, bad situation, right? You see that different genders or sexual types, I don't even like the word gender, that's a different conversation, um, they embody different strengths as from God. Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, male and female, he created them, right? And then to be unified and then to multiply in beauty, all made in the image and the likeness of God himself. Right? So to diminish power or beauty or any of those things are stupid. We don't do that. But we do say that there are unique danger points in each of them. I'm reading a book right now called, um, I think it's called The Rising of the King. And it is a bizarre union psychoanalytic idea. And it's, uh, it's, it's basically like popcorn read. It's not, but there's a couple of great points. And one of the points about men is that men as, as the archetype of king usually... Uh, vacillate between coward or bully. And they're not supposed to be in either place. They're not supposed to be either bully, which is like a masochistic nature, or coward, which is a sadistic nature, but they're supposed to walk as warrior and protector and sacrificial lover. And we see that in the New Testament, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. That's the call. Not dominated or ruled or controlled with an iron fist, but literally laid himself down in sacrificial love. That's the picture that we're given. And here in the Proverbs, we're given this picture that this, the, 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 the woman is analogous to this seductive spirit. What is, why is part of that? Part of that is because women actually have sexual power. It's an actual power. And this is a Jim Anderson, Bethany's Dad 101, is that Men and women are stimulated in different ways. Men are primarily visually stimulated. Women are primarily relationally stimulated. Doesn't mean they're both not as well, right? But as far as primary drivers. And so when we're looking at Proverbs and God is saying to us, he's showing us this picture of somebody walking through life and he's saying, listen, you can't be seduced by the power of beauty. There's a seduction in the power of beauty itself. And ladies, you need to know that your beauty is a power. It's it's not invaluable. It's not nothing. Like, I don't know how many of you guys see advertisements, but it's not very many advertisements I see with the plumber's crack. You know what I mean? It's not that that's beautiful or compelling. That's revolting. Makes me want to run. There's a candy bar next to a butt crack. I'm never eating that candy bar ever, 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 right? But if there's the beauty of woman next to it, it's compelling, it draws me to it, because beauty has actual power associated with it, right? 
And it's a gift from God to be cherished and consumed and enjoyed in the bounty of marriage, in the garden of Eden. That's what it's for. And like all of the cheapening of the devil's tricks, he says, use it all right away, use it up, try it now, mouth of honey, and Proverbs says, leads to destruction, right? Leads to the, our chaos. Um, I have a bunch more stuff on that, but I don't, I'm not, we, we, got, we got a long time on adultery here. We got the chapters, so let's just skip it. Um, I, I, I just did want to say something. When we're talking about scripture, we're kind of talking about a couple of things. One is the big, easy stuff, don't commit adultery. I don't want to have to say that too often. It's a no-brainer. But then there are analogies that are given in the scripture. Like, for instance, we are all the bride of Christ, right? Man and woman, we all together here are the bride of Christ. The treasure that is so majestic, so beautiful, so lovely that Jesus would strip himself of his divinity, live a life on earth, be brutally murdered at the cross for the prize that is the bride. I find that to be an unbelievable picture of femininity and the value and beauty and worth inherently involved therein. I'm just going to throw this out there. Like I, A lot of the big churches, I, I keep seeing these conferences that are like, hear me roar, watch me dominate, look at me, pull a trachea out of, an, out of a man. And I'm like, I don't see that symbolism in the scripture as the symbolism that's honorable. Frankly, by either, by either sex, frankly. And we have to make sure that the scripture is our driver. All scripture is inspired by God for the edification of us to be raised in righteousness. Amen? You know, Jesus actually says, um, Jesus, Jesus is the person in the New Testament that calls the scripture, the Old Testament, the word of God. Like That's not something that we came up with in the Council of Nicaea or some other kind of council of old dead guys. It's Jesus himself that says of the scripture, this is God's word given to you for direction, for edification, for comfort, for encouragement. Amen? Okay, so let's just jump into this. Let's jump into this picture, which is where I want to go, which is where, where God has me, is the picture of sin as seduction. God has called me into this relationship to be him first, right? That everything else, every other priority in my life is subjugated to me loving him, obeying him, living for him, believing in him, pursuing him as the primary directive of my life. And sin is seductive. And last week, um, well, let's read this 5.3. Um, I'm going to read the Passion, Passion Translation version of this because I like it. And they translate a couple of words in a really interesting way. 5.3. Remember this. The lips of a seductress seem sweet like honey, and her words seem like music in your ears. But I promise you, in the end, you will be left with a bitter conscience. Doesn't that sound like the Garden of Eden to you? Like that the conscience, the internal navigation system was actually corrupted by pursuing this sin thing that God said not to. Verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, but she will ruin your life, drag you down to death, and lead you straight to hell. She has prevented many from considering the paths of life. Yes, she will take you with her where you don't want to go, sliding down a slippery road and not even realizing where the two of you will end up. 5-3, sin is seductive. So we were talking a couple weeks ago about the book of Song of Solomon. And in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 
15, it says the bridegroom, the, the lady is saying to the groom, the bride is saying to the bridegroom, go after the little foxes that are in our garden right now because they're destroying the vine, the vineyard. We were talking about how often in our relationship with God, like we have these little things in our life that want to tear at the fruit of joy and peace and fullness and gladness with God. And so many of us as Christians walk around in this relationship with God where we're trying our best to be obedient, we're trying to rely on Jesus, but when there are foxes in our garden, it steals the fruit from the vine, and the fruit is representative of wine, of joy, of bounty, of pleasure, of all of these good things that are supposed to come and be a part of the Christian life, but when there are foxes in the vineyard, it can steal. And we talked about... Foxes are these little, tiny, innocuous creatures that are crafty and wise, and they steal the promise. They steal the fruit from us. And I said, doesn't that sound like the Garden of Eden, where you have a snake, and who is a small, crafty, innocuous creature that says things to steal the fruit that they're supposed to live in, and by fruit, I mean the bounty of the garden, and give them something else that poisons and destroys them. And I want to read this to you out of Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 um, through 7. And this is the snake. He's talking to Eve here. And he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. So I want to, I want to show, this is a really cool picture. You're, you will be like God knowing good from evil. So there's three things he said are going to happen to Eve. Really great things. First of all, her physical body, her flesh will change. Her eyes will be opened up in a way that they've never experienced before. Second, you will be like God. So your image is way cooler than the pathetic image you have right now. You're now looking like God. Isn't that amazing? Third, you will know, you will actually be empowered to know the difference between good and evil. These are three primary seductive natures of sin. I'm going to read it in, in the book of James so you'll track with me. It says this in chapter 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world are the desires of the flesh, one, the desires of the eyes, two, and the pride of life. James is saying there's three primary seductive elements in sin. It's almost like there's three primary baits that it tries to pull you out of this covenantal relationship that is supposed to be full of fruit and bounty and life. And these are the three things. And what's amazing is Jesus is tempted with the exact same three things in his temptation. The three things that Eve was tricked on, the three things that the enemy used, the three things that James, excuse me, First John warns about were the things that Jesus stood up against in the temptation. Isn't that wild? Let me show you this right here. Let me find it. First John. Okay, so the first one is the desire of the flesh. John ends, the world is passing away along with its desire, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. In Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, 
It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first temptation that Jesus was tempted with was it was good for his flesh. Okay, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. How many know bread is good for flesh at that point? It wasn't actually bad for his flesh. It would have been actually good for his flesh. And the first temptation is things of the flesh that are okay things that we subjugate God for in our life. Things that are supposed to be blessing that are put below, excuse me, that are put above the place of God's obedience or obedience to his word. It's almost like the kindergarten. I see these three seductions of sin as kindergarten, high school, college. And the first one is lust of the flesh. Your literal body wants stuff. Your physical body wants stuff. Now, check this out. In 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 23, the scripture says that our body is spirit, soul, and body, right? Three parts. It's, it's in the Bible. It's not a weird, wacky, charismatic idea that it says that we would be blessed in our spirit and our soul and our body. Most theologians say the soul is the mind, will, and emotions, The spirit is our spirit man that's born again or rejuvenated when we accept Jesus into our life. And then our body is this physical corpus that I'm walking around in right now. The body itself has its own desires. And all throughout the book of Romans, all throughout the New Testament, we're warned against pursuing the passions of our body because the body has been corrupted by this thing that we call sin. When Adam and Eve took the fruit, God said, if you eat it, you're going to die. And the snake's like, no, no, you won't, stupid God. You'll be fine. And then they ate the fruit, and they didn't actually die, which is so weird, right? They didn't immediately drop dead. I find that with God's directives, when we disobey them, we don't see chaos immediately. It's like a time-release capsule. Like, it starts to degenerate something on the inside, something deeper. Disobedience starts to do a work in us that drives us away from God. And so, our physical bodies are still a part of, this is a little bit technical, are still under the curse, if you will. Our spirit has been totally regenerated, is brand new. It's what, when the Father sees us, he sees us as sons fully pure through the blood of Jesus, brand new. And our soul is like this kind of battleground. And sometimes we as believers walk with our soul and agree with the lust of our flesh and our spirit is kind of dragging along. We're like, you know what I want to do? I want to do something that's crazy. I want to drink too much. I want to consume too much. I want to eat too much. I want to do things that subjugate my spirit to the desires of my body and my soul are aligned with that. And if you have a, a battle and two, it's two against one, guess what? The two usually win against the one. And so when we're walking with Jesus, the first seduction that comes along in our walk with God is when we see the thing that we're not supposed to do. And if you, you, can, you can think of it in sexual sin. You can think of it in, in, in eating habits that are wrong, that it will make my body feel good. And ladies and gentlemen, to live a life of Christ, we have to be able to say no to our body. Amen? We have to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to say no to this thing. And that's why Jesus said when uh, the Pharisees said, why don't your disciples fast? Um, And 
think actually it was the disciples of John said, why don't, you, why don't you disciples fast? And Jesus said, when the bridegroom's with them, they won't fast, but as soon as he takes off, they'll be fasting again because they'll have to keep themselves in check. They'll have to keep their bodies in check. It's one of the reasons the early fathers, church fathers fasted every Thursday for the whole kind of beginning of the early church to keep my physical body that's always wanting what it shouldn't have in check. Romans chapter eight, the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace because the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, law nor can it. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. So the first point of the do not commit adultery is we just have to say no to our flesh. Is that okay? Like we have a culture that says say no, say yes to your flesh at all times, in all ways, standing on your head, you know, in, in the bus. Every place you possibly can say yes to your flesh, say yes to it. And God's way is to say, say no to it. Like it's a blessing if you control it. If it controls you, it's a curse. And it's the most base level curse. It's the most base level domination. Amen? Okay. Um, the second one is the desire of the eye. And so Eve... She saw the apple. She thought it was going to be good to eat. It was actually going to make her flesh, her body, feel great. And the second thing is, it just looked great. You know what's funny is, the second temptation of Jesus, the devil comes to Jesus and says, jump off of the building, right? Raise yourself up. Jump off the building, and angels will scoop you up and catch you on your way down. It's such a bizarre temptation to me, right? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. So if you correlate the temptation with the lust of the eyes or the looking great, it's like, you want to see how amazing I am? I can jump off of a building and angels will catch me. It's the power of God working for no one's sake but prides. Like it's God actually working with his power and his majesty for no one's sake but my own pride. And I've been in and out of lots of different churches in my life and seen lots of charismatic churches where people are exercising the charismatic or the gifts of the spirit for no one's sake but their own. First Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, that's what it specifically talks about, 12. It's like, it says this, it says, you're getting up in front of the church and speaking in tongues in front of everyone for no one's edification but your own, right? It's not a slant against speaking in tongues, it's a slant against the pride of the eyes, the second sin. And what's funny is like as soon as we as Christians get past that first one where we start to get things of the flesh under control, the enemy says, now I want to make you look awesome. And that's the second lust. That's the thing where Jesus said, let's read it right here. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. What a crazy picture. Like not the highest other building, but in the church itself, the highest point of the temple where he would be most glorified in the eyes of others. And it says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up. And Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I find that oftentimes, you know, pride is about all eyes on me. It's about vanity. It's about doing things that in the moment make me feel great, but they're not lasting like the honey on the lips of the seductress that draws you down. It's momentarily pleasurable, and then in the end, it's destruction. And then this is the third one right here. And the third one is the pride of life. And the pride of life, there's, this 
Third sin is really the desire for power over life itself. It's the desire to be empowered or be in control. We see it with Eve when he, the serpent says, you will be like God. C.S. Lewis says that the essence of pride is competition. It's being better than others around you. It's being superior to those around you. And it's a funny thing because you're walking through this life of faith. You get through the flesh thing. You're like, I'm not going to be a slave to my carnal nature. I'm not going to be whipped and chained and driven in life by my flesh desires. We get past that one. And the devil says, but what about just looking awesome, right? What if you just look great? You're not, you're not being a slovenly you know, drunk, but what if you just look awesome? Uh, I'm just was reminded of this story. Daniel and I were talking this week. A friend of mine was the uh, um, he was the uh, Yankees priest. What is that called? The priest of the Yankees. Thank you, chaplain. <laughs> he was the chaplain of the Yankees, and he said uh, he was like David. You know, it was wild. It was after about ten years of doing it. He said all I could think about towards the end of that time was how awesome it is to be the chaplain of the Yankees. And he said, and then I recognized like. This, had, this wasn't about serving God anymore. It wasn't about bringing glory to him. It wasn't about touching people. It was mostly about how cool it was to have this position. And he said, and when I realized that, an interaction happened, and he gave up the position immediately. Because the devil, after he gets you off of second base, he tries to bring you to this one and, and pride of the eyes. Third one is power over other people. And it says this in Matthew chapter 4. Again, the, oops. Where are we, where are we here? Rubadada. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him and angels came and ministered to him. Uh, Bethany, if you want to come up and play, play. Actually, we can have the whole worship team. You know, it's funny that the devil tries to give Jesus what is going to be rightly his. It's, it's super clear in this last one that the devil says, hey, like, you're not going to have to go through the cross. You're not going to have to go through suffering. You're not going to have to go through years of doofy disciples that don't believe you. You just get it all now if you just bow down to me. And all of these things along the way are blessings that the Lord wants us to walk in. But the way of sin is seduction to get them before our time and outside of God's goodness, character, and nature. Let's like, think about the, the lust of the flesh. Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, pray this, give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to meet the needs of your physical body. Right? Think about beauty as something that we're supposed to have and not just it be a seductive thing. God put Adam and Eve in a garden, right? A beautiful place for them to enjoy and be surrounded by beauty. And then finally, it says, uh, Jesus says to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, and if you overcome with me, you will rule the nations with me. And it's amazing that the devil comes seduction to take God from the first place in our life, from the center point in our life and put other things in there and he says, it's going to give you pleasure it's going to make you look awesome and it's going to empower you 
And all of those things are found in the goodness of God. They're not often found in the speed or the way or the method, but they're fuller and they lead to life and they lead to righteousness. And the other things lead down to tiny, dark grossness. I've been, uh, I think it was January, beginning of the month. If you guys just bring it down just a touch, team. Thanks. If you, if um, we were playing this song, what is the fire song we were doing? Refiner's Fire. Alphonse was singing the Refiner's Fire song, and I was like, man, I don't want you to sing that song. It's about God being a refiner and burning out the dross and the things inside of me that were getting in the way that I could see clear as day are in front of me. And the Lord's like, I really don't want you screwing around with this mess anymore, David. I really would like you to fully pursue me with your whole heart. And Fonz was singing the Refiner's Fire song. And I just remember thinking like, oh, God, I, <laughs> I, I like my pet sins, right? I like, I like looking great. I like all of this stuff, God. And I just remember the Lord putting his finger on my heart when, he was, when Fonz was singing that and saying to me, I'm gonna bring you into a season where we burn out the dross, where the things that are apparent, like the things of the flesh that you're struggling with, like let's, let's, let's get out of kindergarten. Like let's be done with that stuff. Or just the looking great, like let's stop caring so much about looking great. Let's stop caring about the next big thing. Why don't you just be faithful in the field I have you? Or the empowerments, which, you know, comes with a lot of my law, my law firm stuff. Like, let's not care so much about being better than anyone. Why don't you follow my way and take my cross up and follow after me? And if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. And so I, I want to just invite you as a church with me, all of us really, to say, Jesus, can you put your finger on my heart to those places inside of me that I can just, the, the things that are in the way, they're seductive, they're pride of the flesh, they're the love of this, the vanity, there's my desire for power or security or safety or just to be better than. And Jesus, can, can your kingdom be above all of that? Can I actually walk through this life and ask myself the questions? Is this serving my pride? Is this serving my flesh or is it serving Jesus? And that I can seek for his, first his kingdom and that all of these things will follow after. Amen? Just stand up with me. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the bounty of your beauty that you've prepared for us. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would do a work on the inside of us, Lord, that you would refine us, that you would purify us, God, that you would burn out the dross, God, that we would be reflective of your image on this earth, Father, that it wouldn't be my image that I'd be concerned with, God, the seduction of power or the seduction of fame, but it would be your image that reflects when people look at me. They see not David, but they see Jesus, God. They see not another lawyer, but they see the Son of God. They see your goodness, your meekness, your humility, your love flowing through me.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know Him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.